Hello, people of the planet that care about the planet and wish to change it for the better. Welcome. Welcome to AOP AI, the podcast where we chat with pioneers, thought leaders, and change makers in the field of digital health. AOP AI is brought to you by FutureMed, an online platform started by us for those interested in the future of medicine and mankind. If you're a visionary and wish to share your vision with like-minded people, then join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Links for both can be found in the description. So, without further ado... Hi everyone and welcome to another conversation. We're going to be changing our format slightly and shortening our conversations to make them more focused. We would appreciate your feedback on this new approach. This week it's a pleasure to have joining us Lisa Pape. In this episode she gave us some fascinating insights into the medical devices space. After this short conversation we hope that you can go away with some motivation to put a great idea you've always had into action. We hope you enjoy. All right, so Lisa, could you briefly tell us a little about your background and, and what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is, is quite mixed. I originally studied human biology at King's College in London. Uh, after that, I worked a bit in advertising at AOL and then in finance at JP Morgan. And then I went on to work at the Danish Embassy in London doing foreign direct investments. So basically creating jobs in Denmark uh, in life sciences and clean technologies. Uh, then I decided to go back to university to do a postgrad at Imperial College and the Royal College of Arts in, in Innovation Design Engineering. And, uh, and so that's when I started looking at um, mobility and, uh, and using kind of design-led thinking to explore daily life issues for people with uh, two conditions, namely Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis in that case. And so that led into these two products that we're now working on as a startup called Walk With Path. And the two products are uh, a device for Parkinson's, which is uh, wearable for alleviating freezing of gates, a symptom uh, experienced by about half of the population that can often cause falls. And then a second product, which is an insole um, aimed at diabetes. And that insole aims to improve balance uh, using haptic feedback or vibration therapy, uh, especially for those who have neuropathy, which is the sensory loss on the soles of the feet that can often lead to unsteady walking. Great, thanks. And it, I mean, it really sounds like your current work is sort of a culmination of your previous experience. How would you say it came about that you started your, your current company? So um, one of the reasons I wanted to look at mobility is because my father has Parkinson's. And so I've seen firsthand, you know, some of the difficulties of living with this condition, including uh, all, all the side effects that can be associated with the drug treatment. And so I wanted to, to try and see how I could use other methods to have a positive impact on, on people with those types of, of symptoms. So that was the starting point, uh, trying to have only positive impact with no negative side effects. Would you say that you're achieving that currently? And, well, obviously we have Pathfinder on the market, which is the device for people with Parkinson's disease. It's a medical device, so we have got clinical evidence backing it up, showing a 50% reduction in the freezing symptom. 
And of course, we stay in close touch with many of our users. So I would generally say that the, uh, the feedback has been very positive. Uh, in a recent survey, we found that 100% of our users feel that their self-esteem has gotten better. And uh, they also feel uh, more able to, to try new things and more happy in life. Uh, we've also had a couple of, of individual testimonials, for instance, from people saying they're able to continue going to work and thought they would have to retire early. And others from family members of, of people with Parkinson's saying, my father is so much happier than he was before because he's able to just be a bit more independent. So those are very rewarding uh, to hear. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a big part of why we do what we do. Just briefly, you've touched on the importance of getting feedback from your consumer base and your target audience. How important would you say feedback is in, in the design process? I think it's absolutely essential. You need to be working closely with the end users uh, to develop your solution. I think the starting point for me has been to try and understand the real problem. What is the, what is the scope of it and, and how does this freezing impact people? What does it make them think? What can happen? Are they worried about the future? A lot of things like that. And then after you've tried to really hone in on the problem, then it's about testing the solution and making sure that it really works for the user and it meets that need. And that includes not just the clinical aspect, but also general usability. Is the person willing to wear it? Is the person able to charge it? A lot of the kind of softer aspects, they also have to be met. And Lisa, I've got a few questions for you. So from general observation, I've seen that many people across their life come up with a brilliant idea. They see a problem, they come up with an idea for a solution, but there's only a handful who go that extra step and actually turn that idea into a reality. So looking at that kind of process, I wanted to ask, what has been a profound or surprising realization that you've had in the process of starting your own company? I think there's been a lot, to be honest. It's not an easy process to, to start a business. Um, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of bad moments as well, right? When you feel like this is too much, I can't deal with this. Um, one of the constant challenges for us has been funding. So you need to always get funded, especially if you want to not just be working on this alone anymore. Um, when I started, it, it was just me and it can be a very lonely process to be working on this thing by yourself. You don't necessarily have people to discuss with about what you should do and, and so on. You're trying to constantly create your own journey uh, and that, that does feel a bit lonely. So I really enjoyed the moment when I was able to bring people into the team with me that were working with me on this journey and on making this thing happen. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's lots of challenges in that too. You need to find the right people. They need to be motivated equally to you. You need to be able to bounce ideas off each other. Uh, and you work very closely together, right? So you're working day and night on this thing. Um, so so you, need to, you need to feel uh, some person, personal connection as well. Um, so there is that, there is funding. And then of course, when you get later down the line, when you actually have a product on the market, then there is the ability to actually uh, create the awareness for it, uh, making sure the uptake is there. And I think that's a constant challenge because you're, you're an unknown entity. You're not coming as a big uh, company that everybody would know about. So you need to build the trust 
uh, and you need to need to do a lot in this area. So we try to work a lot with key opinion leaders uh, who can help us also to create that trust through through who they are uh, and by providing feedback as well. So, Lisa, for someone who might be at that stage of they've identified a problem, they've even thought of a product, and and they're thinking of taking that next step going into, oh, I should make this into a reality, from all these experiences that you've had, the troubles finding funding and all the hurdles and how you've overcome them, what advice would you give to that young person trying to take that step? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a lot uh, to be said here. But one of the key things is um, you have to be very passionate about what you do. You have to really believe in that solution that you're taking forward because others might not. And you need to constantly be able to, to stay positive and still believe in it and ideally be able to convince others, right, that this makes sense. Um, I think for, from, from my point of view, Quite early on, I also joined a couple of acceleration programs, which can be nice because you meet other entrepreneurs, other people who are fighting that same journey as you are, and you can bounce ideas off each other. Um, next week, I'm actually uh, mentoring some teams in a, in a boot camp in Portugal uh, for, for an initiative called Patient Innovation. So those are patient entrepreneurs or caregivers of, of family members who have created products. And uh, that's going to be all about how to go to the next step. So that will be quite exciting. Oh, that that's yeah, that does sound quite exciting. And you mentioned accelerating programs. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So acceleration programs tend to be uh, perhaps facilitated by a university. Uh, in my case, when I finished at Imperial College and the Royal College of Art, the Royal College of Art had what they called an incubator. And that's a place where um, other aspiring entrepreneurs uh, meet and, uh, and then the, the actual facilitation in the place, uh, they bring in lots of people who can help you on lots of initial things, which could be legal knowledge, how do I set up a company, could be advice on patterns, maybe you need to consider that for your product, could be advice on how to build a team, how to look for funding, all those kinds of basic things that everyone needs to know about. Um, but if somebody Googles incubators or accelerators, they will find lots and lots of possible solutions that they could apply to with their idea. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm gauging that there is a whole community out there who's very willing and eager to help young entrepreneurs like, like yourself uh, who are taking that first step. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of communities. Uh, there's also meetups for entrepreneurs where people can come and pitch and things like that. So I think it's very easy to make connections and kind of become part of that ecosystem. And I would really encourage that because you can learn a lot and bounce ideas with other people. So Lisa, something that Hamza and I have been doing for some time now is that we've been broadly keeping an eye on the medical technology field and the digital health field and seeing what might be big in the future. We're certainly seeing that wearable devices is a space that could profoundly disrupt how clinical medicine is practiced now and into the future. What would you say are potentially the, the most exciting developments in, in wearable technology for you? Yeah, I think you're right. Wearable technology can have a huge role to play 
in, in how medicine is, is administered. Um, I think, uh, you know, COVID has, has perhaps played a big part in this, a kind of acceleration and adoption of wearable tech and monitoring devices. It's definitely proven that there's a huge need to be able to do things remotely that maybe wasn't as widely accepted before. So, so that has, in a way, been, been you know, a positive effect of the, of the pandemic. Uh, in my belief, because I think it's a very good move to start to start going towards remote monitoring and more personalizing the appointments and so on. Um, so I would say that that that's a big part of it, and hopefully it's going to be a big push. Uh, so far, you know, wearables have been collecting a lot of data, and in some ways, sometimes it's been a bit unclear what to use all this data for. So I think that's also um, what's going to hopefully come next is is part of this, like how, how to actually make the most sense of it in a convenient manner. Interesting. And so when it comes to wearable devices, uh, so that there are, as far as I'm aware, a number of practical steps that are involved in, in getting your product to market. I mean, in, in previous years, I've heard the idea that it's been perhaps even a decade ago or two is that wearable devices has been or medical devices has been a field that's almost like the wild west because uh, there aren't many uh, organizations that heavily regulate that do you think that's changed more in recent years i think there can be a bit of a gray zone for some devices that might go into this kind of wellness category um, for us, it's been quite important to be proper medical devices. So we do follow the regulations. Uh, and the reason we find this important is because then we feel it, it's going to be a more reputable product <clears throat> and it's going to ease the adoption into healthcare systems, which is our target. You know, if you're aiming for, for reimbursement of the product and for it to be paid by, by healthcare systems, you need to have the, the proper evidence associated with it. That's certainly something we've, we've heard time and again throughout our course is that evidence base needs to be the core of everything we do. So it's good to hear that, that device companies are thinking along the same lines. And Lisa, just uh, kind of um, a question looking at the future. What kind of impact do you see yourself and your work having on the wider field of medicine and, and healthcare in general? Um, well, I mean, our aim is obviously to impact the end users on a daily basis. That's, that's one of our biggest aims. But over time, we're integrating more and more data into our solutions. So actually, in the past six months or so, we've been working quite closely with clinicians, mostly in the US, trying to understand what kind of data would be helpful for them in their management of conditions. Our focus has been primarily diabetes, so we've been working with uh, diabetologists, uh, endocrinologists and, and podiatrists, for instance. Uh, so we do feel that our data collection service can actually offer a huge benefit in uh, saving time for the clinicians, potentially, and also in pr uh, providing a more objective and, and longer term view of the patient's um, current condition. So it sounds like, uh, sounds like multidisciplinary uh kind of working is, is really a core aspect of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Our team is quite varied with many different skills. And, and I think that's quite important to innovation to get those different input. And just to finish off, Lisa, it's been great hearing your perspectives on these things from 
yeah, th this kind of broad view and, and given your experience base as well. But perhaps on a, on a personal note, what, would, what sort of advice would you give to our listeners, some of whom may wish to delve into the medical device space themselves or, or just start researching what this field could look like over the coming years? What would you tell them? Um, I would say that the, the, you know, the medical device field definitely requires some level of patience because it is a heavily regulated area. You need medical device certifications. You need to conduct clinical trials typically to prove that your technology works. Um, so I would say to, to have patience and to engage widely with stakeholders like clinicians or scientists in the area, as well as end users. Great, that, that sounds like some really helpful advice and something we lose track of all too often. <laughs> yeah, it's easy, I think, to, to go down one avenue and, and lose track of other things. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so Lisa, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been great hearing, like I said, your, your broad kind of overarching perspective on on how these things work and, and also your experience of medical devices. So I think people will find that valuable. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, thank so. you as well for having me. Yeah.